What's going on, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of Triggered. This is Triggered episode number 231. We're here on Tuesday, October 27th, just seven days, one week away from Election Day. Uh, joining us today, we have a very special guest here on Triggered, our good friend and longtime Triggered listener, Harrison Dunn. He lives in Erie, Pennsylvania, and is the asset manager of the financial firm Parker Francis Group. He's also a longtime Republican operative in that area of Pennsylvania, so he's had his finger on the pulse of the Trump political realignment for a long time, knows the economy and markets like no one else, so I thought it'd be great to have him on here before the election. Uh, For full disclosure, because we do that unlike the mainstream media, I have a personal financial relationship with Harrison, and he has acted as my financial advisor in certain capacities. Harrison, welcome to the show. I know this is exciting for you as a longtime Triggered listener. Oh, yeah, this is tremendous. I mean, what a nice thing. Start out as a listener and then end up. Yeah, and that's and that's how we became friends is uh, you messaged me as a triggered listener, and now we've been friends for quite some time. So glad to finally have you on here. Uh, I think pushing on to a year now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the big news yesterday. Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed to the Supreme Court. We finally, I say, have a 5-4 conservative majority because obviously we know we can't rely on that backstabber, John Roberts. What's your thoughts on how big of an achievement this is? Well, it's a huge deal. I mean, especially if you look at Pennsylvania, we just had that atrocious uh, ruling about the late uh, mail-in voting and then on the signature uh, analysis match. So having her on the court is a huge deal just in the short term. Um, I know there's more things that are headed their way. But uh, in terms of Erie, it's a big deal because this is a really Roman Catholic town. And I think a lot of people here are very happy to see Roman Catholic put on put onto the court. Yeah, definitely. I, I know we talk about it a lot, how the big liberals in the big cities frown upon any religion. But uh, where we come from up there, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, you know, Catholicism is kind of a huge part of the culture. And I know Matt- it's, a, it's a huge part of our culture. I mean, most people uh, that I know went to Catholic school. Um, it's, a, it's a huge community here. Yeah, definitely. You brought up a good point with the uh, election law warfare or lawfare, if you want to call it that. Uh, last night, we had a big ruling. The Supreme Court sided with Republicans on the ballot deadline in Wisconsin, which was actually pretty surprising. I had expected Roberts to rule against us there. With Amy Coney Barrett now added, I know, Matt, you've been covering this a lot of these rulings that we've been getting. You know, the lower court rules against us. Mm -hmm. Then once we get to a Trump judge up in the appeals court, they rule for us. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on where we're at with this right now? At the, remember, at the beginning, I was very worried. Because, yeah, no, that's because, why I'm bringing it to yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> because, because the, they were, you know, the, the left was getting all these key, you know, wins about extending deadlines, extending ballots, you know, days after the election. And, and now, uh, finally, they kind of, you know, our side kind of turned on the, uh, put, you know, pedal to the metal and kind of uh, started fighting back against this stuff. So, um, remember, I said, once we get to the appellate courts. Yeah, once we get to the appellate courts. Yeah, the Trump appellate courts. The, but, the only one we really haven't won yeah. is Pennsylvania. And it's going to be interesting to see the Pennsylvania Supreme Court there is just stacked with liberals. It's the state that's at most jeopardy to have things stolen effectively. I mean, turnout's going to be over 100 percent in certain places. I'm sure of it. Yeah, well, you know, Philadelphia is always a total mess, put it lightly. Um, 
But the the thing that's interesting with the Pennsylvania Supreme Court decisions, they're leaving the door open for the United States Supreme Court to make a ruling on this. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if it's going to be brought back up again before the end of the week for basically an emergency stay, uh, which assuming Amy Coney Barrett rules on it, it would go in our favor. Um, so that, ha- that has a potential big effect on Election Day. Sure it does. All right, so let's talk about the Hunter and Joe Biden scandal because that's been big news. Yeah. Uh, we just had some more news dropping before about recordings, uh, relationships with Chinese investment firms. Uh, this was reported in the Daily Caller that uh, Hunter Biden's group of business associates touted Joe Biden in an investment pitch to a Chinese firm. It, it basically has come out that the the investment outline that they sent over features Joe Biden shaking hands with Colombia's president and proposes investments in a Colombian oil field and a pipeline from Venezuela. Just on a more macro level here, how disgusting do you think to the average voter, Harrison, this kind of corruption and swamp creature behavior is? Well, it's incredibly disgusting. Um, first of all, just back to Erie, you know, it's an area that I, I know it's the Roman Catholic thing again, uh, you know, and not so much about that specific scandal that you just mentioned, but the talk of underage children and the treatment of them. That's, that's a huge deal here. That really turns people off. And obviously, and then on the, uh, the second point, you know, Erie and most of the country, you know, you got hardworking people that work day in, day out to make, you know, 57 to $64,000 a year. And then you got a kid making basically that amount per month using his dad's name. Yeah, I think that's something that's really going to resonate with the working people in this country is, you know, they work these long ass days and then, you know, come home at night, barely have time to spend with their family or their kids. Hunter Biden, meanwhile, has done nothing but get jobs based on the back of the name of his father. Yeah. Um, And some other stuff. Whoa. Yeah. That, yeah, was, allegedly, caught, that allegedly. was caught on video. Oh, it's definitely him on the video. Oh, you're talking about the sex tape. The sex tape, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to go too in-depth on that. People, <laughs> you know, if, if people are that interested, they can look it up. But it's on Reddit. It, it is. A, no, actually, <laughs> they took it down. They took it down. Yeah, after I got uh, to I, I will say it's probably not the best for us to push on that too much. I think uh, you're stay away from most of yeah, the, this sorted stuff, and especially the addiction, because that is something that many families, unfortunately, have had to deal with in their lives. So, I think harping on that is maybe not the the best way to go. But anything related to finance, fair game. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I totally agree with you there. The one interesting thing that we we have basically unfolding here over the last twelve hours and over the next twenty four hours. There's recordings, and Tony Bobulinski is supposed to go on Tucker Carlson tonight to play recordings of essentially Biden family associates, yeah. right, Matt? Yeah. That, that are that were threatening him. They're pleading him just to keep his mouth shut until after the election because the reputations of everybody involved are going to be ruined. That's what reportedly is on the tape. And not only that, he sent this to the Wall Street Journal, and they never got back to him. Mm. So interesting. Yeah. We also have it's very unlike Kim Kim Strassel though, to like 
kind of bypass that. So maybe there's some other stuff at work. Well, she's more on the opinion side she too. Is, so it could yeah. have been going through different editors. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know how the yeah, whole thing yeah, works. The news but division is separate from the outfit. Well, unless, unless it's the New York Times where like the news people get to say, get to have a, get to have a say what the, the opinion people say, which is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> um, we, veto power. We also have from the National Pulse in a report that just published about an hour ago. So I'm not sure if you've seen this, Harrison. But in obtained audio, it appears that Hunter Biden references Patrick Ho, who was a former secretary for home affairs in Hong Kong as a, quote, spy chief of China, while talking about his business partner, not even going to try to attempt this Chinese name, at CEFC China Energy had disappeared. Uh, Ho was also involved in the CEFC venture, as originally reported by the New York Post. The National Poll says, the audio breaks the mainstream media's narrative that the hard drive is somehow fake or does not implicate Hunter or Joe Biden in criminal investigations and or business deals with the Chinese Communist Party. I get calls from my father to tell me that the New York Times is calling, but my old partner, Eric, who literally has done me harm for I don't know how long, is the one taking the calls because my father will not stop sending the calls to Eric. I have another New York Times reporter calling about my representation of the, literally, Dr. Patrick Ko, the spy chief of China, who started the company that my partner, who was worth $323 billion, founded, and is now missing. The richest man in the world is missing, who was my partner. He was missing since I last saw him in his $58 million apartment and signed a $4 billion deal to be, build the largest LNG port in the world. And I am receiving calls from the Southern District of New York, from the U.S. Attorney himself. My best friend in business, Devin, has named me as a witness without telling me. In a criminal case, and my father without telling me. So basically, he has a business partner here who is flipping on him and he's making calls that he's implicated. Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't, I don't know how, okay, so this is something that we talk about a lot, Harrison. How is the mainstream media just avoiding reporting on this story at all? Oh, you're trying to get my blood pressure going. Uh, I'm not sure. It's 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 an incredible thing. I mean, I on day one of this, I thought maybe after a few hours they would fold, uh, especially after Twitter and Facebook put the brakes on things. Nothing, and now here we are, day however however many days later, and it's just it's not a thing. You can't. You, you mentioned mainstream narrative of this is disinformation. There almost is a lack of a narrative. There's just, there's nothing. I think it's very, very concerning. I, I personally, I actually find it to be worse than what's happening with Hunter. I've always assumed he was corrupt. But what the media has done, just snuffing a, you know, a major scandal out is, is really alarming. Yeah, well, they're, they're attempting to protect Joe Biden. You've written about how the mainstream media, Matt, has basically yeah. just been radio silent on yeah, this. They, they, you know, they, they, they're trying to suffocate this with a pillow. They think it's, you know, Russian disinformation. NPR, which is funded by our tax dollars, says that they don't cover distractions. And now there was an op-ed uh, that, um, that uh, Glenn Greenwald of The Intercept kind of ripped apart because it said – the guy literally writes in the, in, the, in, the, in the opening graphs, even if it's not Russian disinformation, we got treated as such. 
Yeah, that's crazy. So, I mean, that's just absolutely nuts. So, um, you know, I, 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 I right wing. Well, I shouldn't say that. That that's their language. Besides conservative media, mm -hmm. independent lefty outlets are covering it, like the Intercept, which it actually is. I mean, I, I read them just to get the view on the other side, but mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's mostly a, a hub for whistleblowers to bring their information forward. But yeah, I mean, that's basically it. It's not breaking through. Uh, and then when you have to, you know, when Joe, you know, when you ask Joe, he gets all huffy about it, which should only bring more attention to it. It should bring mega attention to it. The fact that Twitter and Facebook tried to censor it. Or the fact that your Joe post is still censored right now. They still have not been able to tweet anything since October 13th. I yeah, it's absurd. And the fact that Joe Biden is in hiding. Yeah. I mean, we've never seen a major party candidate go into hiding like this. Yesterday, he called a lid. Uh, but then once he realized how much heat he was taking, he, he emerged from the basement to go talk to about three people, uh, basically a 20-minute car ride from his house. And he basically uh, got asked a court, uh, a court packing question, right? Let's take a listen to this clip where he can barely even put a coherent sentence together. Here's the deal. One of the things that, that, that is important is that um, – Keep in mind, although they're going to vote on uh, uh, Barrett, I think today. Oh my God! So there you have. What is he? Yeah, he. So there you have his media handlers, as soon as they realize the wheels are falling off of his uh, train, yeah. uh, they start moving the press immediately back. Uh, now, keep in mind, if Trump's people did that, the press would immediately start screaming and yelling and throwing a tantrum. But what do you, what do you make, Harrison, of this, this shielded Joe Biden? He's been in hiding. He doesn't have the uh, debate prep excuse anymore. They're just trying to trying to run out the clock, essentially, right? Well, it, it's getting to be pretty obvious what's going on. You know, maybe the date debate prep, maybe uh, if that's if you needed five days for that, that's pretty alarming in itself. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, I, they're out of excuses, and I, I think it's starting to resonate with voters. I mean, people see this; they the debate performance was a disgrace, in my opinion. You know, he's just. <laughs> He's just totally taking the campaign off, and I, I think it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be rough for him coming up in, into the election. I mean, you really got to be out there every every day, and he's doing the exact opposite. And uh, I think it is showing up. You know, Google. I think I think it was yesterday. Google's most searched phrase was "Can I change my vote?" or "How can I change my vote?" And I, you know, it's a small stat, but I think it does say something. Yeah, so uh, one big thing I did want to talk to you about here is the uh, rapidly rebounding economy. So you know more about the economy than basically anybody I know. Uh, I know we've talked about this a lot, and, and you're relatively bullish on the economy, but with some reservations. What do you see going on overall right now, you know, with jobs, commodities, and, and more specifically with the market kind of trepidation? I know I likened it to kind of everyone's, you know, waiting. It's the Y2K countdown to next Tuesday to see what happens. What do you make of, of where we're at? So it's, the, I, I, I'll say at the top that the economy is doing really well. I mean, I don't think anyone would have predicted that we would be in the place we are today. 
in March. I mean, I know I certainly wouldn't have. And some people were going pretty extreme, like, oh, a 10-year depression, you know, it's going to take years and years to recover. I mean, we've cut our unemployment rate in half, and I think we're going to see that come down even further, unfortunately, in the jobs report that comes out after the election. It'd be nice to have that up front. But we're going to see a bigger drop. Uh, continuing claims have really trended in a good direction. They slowed down there for a little bit, but then next week, it, or last week, it came, you know, booming back. So that's good. Um, the, the problem really that I see is that the globe is dealing with a big spike of coronavirus and they're actually locking down elsewhere. Europe's locking down. And the, you know, the global economy is a big part of how successful our economy is. So I'm worried about that. And I think most primarily I'm worried about the delay of the stimulus bill. There are a lot of people that are still in forbearance that haven't paid rent. There's a lot of cash that's owed to a lot of people. And uh, we need to get that money into the system. I don't think bailing out the states and the local governments is the right thing to do. But if that's what it takes to get money into the consumer's hands, I, I guess I personally would be willing to deal with that. Yeah, that's kind of where we are with that as well. Um, I mean, it sucks, but Nancy Pelosi, I mean, we've offered them, what, 25 deals ranging from $500 billion to $1.9 trillion. Every single one's been turned down. Well, it's $1.9 trillion. I mean, people forget the Obama stimulus was $800 billion. I mean, this yeah. billion. I mean, this is, this is crazy stuff. And we've already done trillions of stimulus. I mean, at a certain point, you got to say, hey, this is, this is getting to be a bit much. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, for a lot of people, the debt's just basically become an imaginary figure, which is not necessarily a good thing. But, you know, what what are they going to do to call on it, I guess, at this point, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're probably going to go to war with China regardless. So good thing they hold the majority of the foreign debt. Well, one one thing I'll say on that, actually, just because of the way that the Federal Reserve has responded to this unprecedented crisis, they're buying, we're, we're buying our own debt. The Federal Reserve is the largest holder of outstanding U.S. debt. So in a really weird way, we, we owe ourselves quite a lot of money. Yeah. And quite a lot of money. What do you, what do you think of uh, the job that Steve Mnuchin has done as Treasury Secretary? Uh, best Treasury Secretary since Alexander Hamilton. He's done a phenomenal job. He's brought his technocratic skills and abilities from his private career into that office. And he's definitely the, the sharpest, most, how do I say, the, the most well-informed and wise treasury secretary that we've had spin circles around the previous ones. You guys mentioned Tim Geithner a few, few episodes ago and there, there's a real laugh. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, but Steve Mnuchin, he really know he gets it. I think he probably was a big part of the PPP. So you have these practical stimulus programs that I think are emerging uh, primarily from him. And it's nice to have a, a, a go-between with Nancy, someone that's very grounded, very reasonable, very reserved. Uh, I think you need that in the negotiating room with a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, that certainly fits the description for Nancy Pelosi. Good morning. Uh, Sunday morning. Yes, yeah, oh, Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> you see the RNC put her face like on the Teletubbies? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good Sunday morning tweet. So 
Uh, how do you think the election plays into kind of, you know, I, I think everyone's just waiting to see what happens here. How do you think that plays into what's going on? And how do you think the two outcomes play on the future of our economy? So I, I think there's a lot of people waiting and there is a lot of evidence. I'm not going to bore you guys with it, but there's a lot of evidence that shows there is significant money positioned for a large move. Um, basically, volatility is a way of measuring how fast and how much the market's moving. And a lot of the smart money, they have huge positions in volatility that suggests that smart guys are anticipating a major, major move. And I, I think it's pretty obvious to say, especially given how stark the two choices are, that something is definitely going to happen election night. I think the market's going to tear if Trump, if Trump wins. Uh, it's a guarantee of four more years of the tax cuts, maybe more tax cuts, uh, more regulation tearing up. There, there's a lot of reasons for the market to be excited about a, a Donald Trump presidency. Joe Biden is quite the opposite. You know, $4.4 trillion in new taxes, totally unacceptable. Talking about shutting down the energy industry, totally unacceptable. The Green New Deal. I mean, literally every policy this guy has is designed to screw in the economy. It's, it's the exact opposite of the platform you would want if you really wanted to, to win the election and do a good job with the market and the economy. Yeah, that, and that's kind of how I see this playing out, is everyone's just, you know, waiting for that outcome. If if Trump wins, boom goes the dynamite. Yeah. And if Biden wins, uh, boom goes the dynamite, yeah. but on the foundation of the economy, and we'll just yeah. collapse. So Take your money out, put it in a duffel bag, and hide under your mattress. <laughs> yeah. so it's safe to come out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I do think the market is pricing in a Trump victory. It, it looks that way to me whenever there's – uh, good news on Trump, there seems to be a corresponding spike, not to say correlation and causation are the same, but there are definite things inside the market that sort of hint toward what people are thinking. For example, uh, cannabis stocks are up huge amounts because Kamala mentioned that you know legalization would be on the table in their administration. But on the other hand, Home building companies and other basic supply companies are up big, which sort of suggests a, you know, a large housing expansion. So that's more in the the Trump column. Yeah, and that that was actually going to be my next question: Is do you think that the the market seems to be betting on a on a Trump win now? It seems to look that way to me, at least. I I think so. There's been a lot of volatility and angst, which sort of describes the the outlook for Trump. Uh, a lot of the big banks seem to be kind of on board with the Trump win. I've seen a few analyst reports that have come out and done big, you know, causation, regression analysis, suggesting that when you have a change in voter registration numbers, there is a correlating likelihood of a, an electoral victory. That was a piece by J.P. Morgan that was, I thought, great. Um, I know Goldman Sachs has a piece out suggesting that all the sort of the fundamentals are pointing toward a big Trump win. So I think the big guys are, are expecting a Trump win. Yeah, agreed. So let's, let's switch gears a little bit here, talk about what happened in Philadelphia last night. So uh, there was a police-involved shooting. A man armed with a knife charged at officers multiple times after he was given numerous chances to drop the weapon. He was shot and killed. Uh, as we've seen with the routine and how it's been going uh, 
all all through the summer and into the fall, riots and looting ensued. We had uh, 30 plus officers hospitalized last night. We had someone in a truck deliberately drive through a police line, uh, which severely injured a female officer. I actually watched that happen live on a live stream. That was just disgusting. How do you think that this plays into what the the political landscape is in in Pennsylvania? Because Pennsylvania is, you know, they say the key to the election. I think we've talked a little bit about how Pennsylvania may just be, you know, icing on the cake after 270 for Trump, but it is a key state and it's a state that Trump would like to win. How do you think people in the suburbs view what what is going on there? Pennsylvania is a very conservative state in many ways. It's, it can be, you know, a little confusing because we have Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and to a degree Erie. Uh, but even in Erie and I would say even in Pittsburgh, the Democrats are not exactly your traditional old school Democrats. They're more the new school Republican populist uh, blue collar breed. <laughs> As Obama, you know, reminded us guns in the Bible are a big thing. Mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania. And like I said, conservative place. People do not like seeing riots, people getting shot. It really turns people off here. Uh, even inside the city, I would say. You know, I just, the number of people I know that are Democrats that are frustrated and sort of, you know, pissed off with the riots is actually pretty, pretty incredible. I had a couple of them at this point. Yeah, well, we saw something yesterday, and and we can't verify the the truthfulness of this, but Matt, you brought this up that in Philadelphia proper, mm-hmm. Trump is receiving yeah. in double digits. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think in terms of the early vote, mm-hmm. he has about twenty four percent trending his way. It was ten percent in twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, yeah. that could be a game changer. It, it right could there. be. Yeah, it could be. But you never know. I mean, you never <laughs> wait until the election day. You know, that could be right down the Right. But you can really feel our energy. You really can at this point. Yeah, so that's a good segue into what I wanted to talk yeah. about next. Cause the 50 cent effect? The, the 50 cent. <laughs> I mean, dude, look, into, ever since he endorsed Trump, look how like black voters but then he unendorsed. But then he unendorsed. Then yeah. he basically came back and said, Trump. So I don't know which it is. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, I think the first one probably got more coverage yeah. than the follow-up. And then you, but, you know all the black democrats by calling me like you gotta get the f- out there well did you see what's her name that that white woman the woke white woman uh chelsea handler i think right uh, her. didn't she say uh, had to remind God. him he was black what the f- nah. she's a real piece of work yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's, she's, yeah. She, she really is <laughs> i mean that's just their mentality it's you yeah. know it's the, and get back say, on the plantation right Right. Yeah. They're like, really? we, we own that vote is essentially yeah. what they're saying, which yeah. I think is going to backfire on them big time. I know we've talked did a lot you about see, Did you see the Rasmussen data that like at the start of the week, approval for Trump in the black community was like 24% and at the end of the week, it was 47. Yeah. yeah. So that's huge. Yeah. And <laughs> to the next topic I wanted to talk about what you, you've seen the political landscape seismic shift, as I like to call it. And Selena Zito wrote a great book about it. What, you know, what's really going on here is you have the elitist liberal cities now versus the populist, you know, Trump supporting uh, suburbs, exurbs, rural areas. It's, it's more becoming a, a 
classist, you know, debate in this country than it is a purely political party debate, right? Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. It's definitely a classist. I think even uh, a large degree with the riots, uh, I think part of that is classism as well. I mean, it's class strife. You know, the, the gap between the haves and the have-nots, uh, you know, it hasn't hasn't shrunk dramatically, that's for sure. So, And you got people with very little time, you know, they have a lot of time on their hands, no jobs. I, I think it's a big part of it. Yeah, definitely. And uh, something that we were talking about, Matt and I, these organic displays of Trump support. Yeah. Right? There's nothing like yeah. that on Biden's side. Yeah. And we talk a lot about the silent majority, but is it not so silent anymore, at least for some people? Obviously, there's a lot of people that have to remain silent for, yeah. you know, jobs. For whatever or, what reason. Yeah. Right. But it seems like just the enthusiasm, right? We talked about Trump has 30,000 people lined up in the 35-degree rain in Lansing, Michigan, for to see him at a rally. Biden can't even get, you know. Eight people. Right. Yeah. Even and, if, even if it was non-COVID, yeah. Biden wouldn't be having huge crowds. And on average, 25, 20% of the attendees didn't vote in 2016. Yeah, so how huge is that? So I I have a good actual little anecdotal thing. Um I was pretty stressed out a few weeks ago. The number I the sign, political yard signs really get to me. I I put way too much stock into them. But uh, my neighborhood and, you know, areas around my neighborhood, which is sort of like a suburb, a lot of Biden signs. And I thought, hmm, this is not good. And then uh, all within three days, it became Trump land. And it turned out that the local party office couldn't get enough Trump signs. They were all going out to the county. So there just literally weren't enough Trump signs for the people inside the city. I just I found that amusing. And what do you what do you see in there on the ground for Trump enthusiasm? I know you said obviously the city itself is liberal, but once you get just outside of the city, is it it's Trump? The, the, this the city is a hundred thousand people. It's solid blue. Although you do see Trump signs in places you wouldn't expect. It's like oh, what's this? What's this? Uh, but the county has a population of one hundred sixty thousand, and yeah, I mean that's solid Trump territory. I would say probably eighty. 80% plus Trump country. Um, I, you know, Trump came here to Erie for a rally uh, last week. You got to see that there were, I mean, I, I want to say eight to 10,000 that came out for that. I mean, that's a significant chunk of our electorate right there. Uh, we have the spontaneous truck rallies. We have the spawn, we, we, Erie is on the, on the lake. And we had massive boat parties uh, this summer. A lot of a lot of Trump support out on the water. So there's a lot of it here, and I think a big part of that is it's what you're saying with the realignment. This Erie is the perfect example of a former Democratic shifting right county. Uh, it used to be solidly Democratic. In fact, even when I was younger, it was. It was a little embarrassing to come out as a Republican, like, oh, you're on, on that side, you know, you're in the super minority. Now it's becoming a pretty common thing to, you know, one in two, one in three are, are Republicans at this point. That trend has been in place since 2008. That was a high water mark for Democrats. In every election since, we've been gaining registration 
uh, we've been getting re new registrants and turnout has gotten better and our results have gotten better. So definitely. And so uh, right before we started recording here, Trafalgar released their new Pennsylvania poll has Trump at 48.4 and Biden at 47.6, uh, essentially a dead heat, less than a 1% race. I would infer that that actually means that Trump might be up more like two, uh, but that's hard to do in Pennsylvania. What's your feeling overall there, and especially on the heels of Biden's significant statement about fossil fuels on Thursday night? Well, he effectively knocked himself out of the race with that. I mean, so Erie is not that much, it's not a big fracking county in the sense that we don't really sit on any shale, but we are directly north of where the richest shale deposit is in the state, you know, between Pittsburgh and Erie. And a lot of people work in the, the services economy that support the, the fracking in the western part of the state. A lot of truckers, uh, steel fabricators, it goes on and on. So that wasn't the wisest thing to say. I think Trump was actually pulling ahead before that happened. That was the sense I got. I think people were coming home to Trump, former 2016 voters. Uh, I think I do actually think the ACB confirmation helped, brought some of the Catholic voters back into the fold. So I, I feel very good about PA. Two, three weeks ago, I was a little anxious, but um, at this point, I, I think it looks really good. The only only concern I have are games after election day. I'm, I'm concerned about that, but I, I think if we have about 100 to 125,000 vote lead on election night, we're going to be fine. Yeah, agreed, yeah. agreed. And so I wanted to talk about the travesty of the uh, what I refer to as the uh, the election <laughs> mafia, the, the polling election mafia. Matt, you've written a lot about yeah. this. Yeah. What's your take on that? And then I want to see what Harris thinks. I, I honestly like – I can't believe them anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't believe them any, anymore. You know, I mean, first of all, I'm not Italian, so I can never be a part of the mafia properly. You know, I can't. I can't. Be, I can't be a full fledged member. But um, <laughs> you're honorary. Honorary. Right? I'm yeah. associate. <laughs> Anybody yeah. be the associate of mafia? But uh, it's just. I mean, when you oversample Democrats, you oversample college educated voters. I mean, I think one Survey USA poll: 62 percent of the respondents were college educated. That's not an accurate mapping of, of the electorate, avoiding Trump Democrats, avoiding rural Republicans, oversampling suburban Republicans because they're hostile to Trump. You know, you're not, we're not, you know, 28% of attendees at Trump rallies that didn't vote in 2016. You have people, you have 10% of self-identified Republicans who say, yeah, they're not going to be as truthful with these polling firms because they don't trust the anonymity of uh, mm -hmm. the process. And I don't blame them. And, you know, we, even Biden's own people say that they're not up double digits. Now that could be a fake out to ensure that you know that their base doesn't get complacent. You know, two two weeks out, I mean, that, that they said that about two or three weeks ago. But I, I mean, how can you be up? To, I mean, if you're up ten points, if you're up double digits nationally, you don't need to go to Pennsylvania. No, and all you don't need polls, to go to Florida. All the know? polls are tightening, yeah. and it, it just doesn't make sense to me yeah. that they're missing it again. They're yeah. missing the electorate again. And th that's yeah. what these polls are, right? Is it's yeah. you're modeling who's going to actually vote. Yeah. 
And again, they're just wish casting what they want to see, yeah. not what the actual reality is oh, going to be on the ground. Oh, and I still I still see some firms they're still using registered voter pools. Yeah, because they don't want to go through the hassle it's of thinking like, of an election. Yeah, they can't yeah. think of it. You know, if, it, if it's if it's D plus three or R plus one, right? They don't want right. to. Think, well, then you do both. <laughs> it's, just, yeah. it's your job. I mean, that alone after Labor Day, I'm just like, you know what? They're not going to. Some of these people aren't going to move off from this. So why should I even listen to them? Like, yeah. So what's your you thoughts know? on that, Harrison? So there's a few points. One, shy voters, people that don't want to say they're voting for Trump. Two, there is a sampling issue for party models. You know, you got D6, D7, D8. That's just ridiculous. We might have an R1 electorate from stuff that I've read. You have the college degree oversampling, which is just ridiculous. Like Matt said, I've, I've seen stuff between 40 and 60% myself. That's just not an accurate representation. Another thing, uh, if you look at the early voting data, the youth votes way down. So that's being oversampled in a lot of these polls. And then uh, finally, and my favorite, is geographic dispersion. They're not weighting polls ge geographically. So what I mean by that, and this, this came from the New York Times, they did a survey of Pennsylvania, I think it was like 800 respondents, and they showed a map of where the respondents were. Bunch of blue dots in Philadelphia, bunch of blue dots in Pittsburgh, a couple in Harrisburg, and a bunch of blue dots in Erie. They miss the entirety. They don't call any of Trump's base. Completely miss it. And I think that one is, is the biggest. You know, if you're just surveying urban dwellers, Democrats and Republicans that are in the city, the squishy Republicans, yeah, that's <laughs> no wonder the polls look the way they do. Yeah, and, and like we've said multiple times here, I think someone's going to be wrong in a big direction. I don't yeah. think it's going to be uh, in the middle kind of thing here. Yeah. Uh, either these ridiculous polls will be correct, which I think is the less likely option, or we will be correct that they're all incredibly wrong again this time. And uh, as Frank Luntz said, the polling profession should be over if we get this wrong a second time. So. No credibility. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's a couple polls out there that do have some credibility, Trafalgar being one of them. I mean, they correctly, you know, called many of the states in 2016. Uh, their main pollster guy, uh, Robert Kelly, was one that called the election for Trump, saying that he would lose the popular vote slightly but win the Electoral College. Yeah. So, you know, there's a few people out there that can be trusted, but overall, by and large, the mainstream media polls, you know, talking about the New York Times, CNN, Fox News even, uh, all of those are, I, I believe, wrong. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, obviously. But I wanted to talk about the national race here because mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people are missing the fact that for Trump to thread this needle, it doesn't take a whole lot from where we currently are, even if these ridiculous polls were just a few points off, right? We have the core three, what's referred to as the core three. We talk about it a lot. That's Florida, North Carolina, Arizona. Those, I think, are all looking good. Would you agree with that assessment, Arizona? Yeah, I know we got those. For sure. okay. And you agree, man? I agree. Okay. So that puts us at the point where all we need is essentially one more state, right? And this is assuming that the Democrats' ridiculous uh, theories or plays here for places like Iowa, Ohio, Georgia, Texas, uh, all are just complete reaches and uh, making the same mistake as Hillary in 2016. Would you both agree with that? 
Yeah, I was going to say, did, were you including Ohio in the core plus one? For... So Ohio, I already count in the safe R category. Uh, okay, I got you. Yeah, That's yeah. So the, the core three is – seven. Yeah, I think Ohio, we're going to win just as much as we did last time, maybe possibly more. Uh, even if we, even so, even if we did lose a few points, we still win the state. So I'm not I, – I spent a lot of time in East Ohio. It sure doesn't look like it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's very Trump-heavy, right? Yeah, extremely. Yeah, and, and the same thing there with the polls. They're polling the wrong places, right? They, well, they put that in the toss. Some places put that in the toss-up column. Like, what are you guys, on crack? Ohio yeah, was – They're with Hunter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ohio was a toss-up before yeah. Trump came around. Yeah. They, don't, they still can't get through their Is head. Iowa still in there? The realignment. Is Iowa they put in? Iowa oh, in the toss-up. Yeah, yeah. And I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't buy that Iowa, a state of – Rural farmers, yeah. basically, is going to vote for Joe Biden. Yeah. Right? Is that – is that is it, how, If the Florida early voting numbers are the way they're going, if Michigan's early voting numbers are the way they're going, sorry, I was just <laughs> – Yeah. <laughs> these places are not in play, period. They're talking about Texas here. The, the Texas early voting numbers, the GOP is up 13 yeah, I know. I mean, come on. These yeah. Georgia, you know, I could see Georgia maybe, maybe, right? I still yeah. don't think this cycle, maybe further down the line, as we've talked about with Texas a little bit, could be a demographics issue there. But it seems to me that in Republican areas of Georgia, we're having great turnout. I could see it being close there, but I still don't see Biden pulling that out. Do you? I certainly don't. Yeah, it, it it seems like these are just I don't know. It seems like they're making the Hillary mistake. Yeah, right. She spent her assume. time in states where they were trying to expand the map. Yeah, as opposed to pulling back to the states they should be yeah. defending. Well, 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 she thought she could take over the Obama coalition. Yeah, like you know, like a you know, a, and a Biden's coronation. making that same mistake. Yeah, yeah, it, no, it's it's a, we're we're watching the same movie twice. It's unbelievable. The parallels to 2016 are shocking. Even up into the FBI reopening the case, that's Hunter's emails. It's like, doesn't it be deja vu? This is crazy. I said the other day, it's deja vu all over again. I do feel like I'm reliving the final days of the 2016 race. And you could see the tightening in the polls, right? They don't want to admit it. But if you look at the real clear politics average, these numbers are coming down right now. Uh, you have the top battleground average. Uh, Trump is at the highest point he's been this entire cycle as far as his his average. Florida just moved to to uh, red for the first time, according to this aggregate of polls. You know, remember, if you're putting shit in, you're getting shit out in general. But if you <laughs> them, Biden's not up nine you know, in Michigan. Oh, my God. Right. The spread, the, the spread. I mean, if you, if you unskew <laughs> these, you know, the trend line is obvious, right? And compared to compared to 2016, uh, you know, Biden is pretty much in the same position that Hillary was with these polls, which I would argue these polls are skewed even further. How, how many points do you guys handicap polls? Like when you look at a poll, how many points do you typically give Trump or Republicans? It depends on the state. You know, if you're looking at a place like Michigan, could be five, could be six, could be nine, depending on the pollster. Uh, if you're looking at a place like Pennsylvania, I think it's a couple. You know, the fact that we saw Pennsylvania come to within a few points before even post-debate polling, like you mentioned. I mean, it, it seems to me like everything is heading in Trump's direction. And here's the other thing. You have 
all this anecdotal evidence, right? These massive rallies you have, if you look that last night, New York times released a map of where donations are coming from. Yeah. If you look at the bellwether counties in all of these battleground States, as far as a pure number of donations, Trump is crushing Biden. Yeah. So I don't get how they're, you know, basically everything points towards Trump except for these polls. That's really where we're at at this point. Occam's razor. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, I, I, I just don't get it. So, well, I mean, we also mentioned the, the candidate who's held the enthusiasm edge since 1988 has always won the election. So, oh, yeah. And I mean, Trump, a whole bunch of historical data points. That and Trump, point to Trump got the most, I believe, primary votes of any yeah. incumbent president ever. Not 94% of the primary share. Which outperformed the polls by five points on a popular vote basis. Yeah. So if you look at the average of the popular vote polls right now on real clear, which, oh, you know, I mean, again, that, that sews it up a quarter, but, though. but that, you know, it's at, it's at 7.4, right. Which yeah. is coming down. If you move, remove five from that, that puts you to 2.4. If Biden wins the popular vote by 2.4 points, Trump is reelected president. Yeah. yeah. There's no doubt about yeah. that. And, you know, he could, I could think he could go up to even maybe five if the votes are in the right place. Uh, by losing the popular vote and still retaining the election. Again, the early voting numbers just do not paint that picture. Yep. Right? It just, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, so let's talk about the early voting numbers because we dive into that a lot. Uh, you and I talk about that a lot behind the scenes. What's your feeling on why the Democrats are underperforming so much? Is, is it just, uh, lack of enthusiasm, I guess. And also, I mean, I, I don't think the Hunter emails are doing that much. I really have a hard time believing that. But I, I, it's not so much Democrat underperformance. It's more us, the Republican performance, that's really impressing me. And do you think that has a risk of cannibalizing the Election Day vote? I, I think just mathematically it, it has to be to a degree. I mean, where else would the votes be coming from? Um, unless all these early voters are new voters, you know, I, I think we are eating into our share, but uh, I forget whose poll showed that Biden supporters, a majority of Biden supporters have already voted by mail yeah. or in person. And if that's true, that's that's the ball game. Like we've, we've won. But I mean, I, I know the early voting numbers have me in a, in a fantastic mood, especially Michigan and Florida. I just, yeah, well, I so look at those things and think, wow, we're this is like wave esque. Yeah, so that brings me back to the original point, right? The core three, and then all you really need is one Rust Belt state, preferably Michigan, because that would put us at, I believe, 276. The Michigan numbers are astounding, yeah. honestly. Yeah. And the, the, the fact that that's the probably strongest Rust Belt state for Trump, I wouldn't have predicted that five months ago. But the, the bigger thing is the— A lot of Trump Democrats in that in yeah. return. And the stakes in that state are so high yeah. because there's also a Senate race there. Yeah. If we can flip that Democrat Senate seat to us, it almost makes their math to take the Senate impossible. It is impossible. Yeah. Thanks, Gretchen. Appreciate it. What'd you say? I said, thanks, Gretchen. Oh, yeah. Adolf, thank you. Or Adolf. Yeah, Adolf did, did a, yeah, she did a great job for us. Yeah, she, I mean, they continue to have their unconstitutional shutdowns there. So if Trump wins Michigan, it's basically and, – and carries the core three, obviously, making the assumption, and that he will carry 
essentially all the states that he did last time, that's a win, right? But there's other states on the table. Yeah. Well, right? I, I think if we win Michigan, we're, we're going to win Pennsylvania, and we're going to possibly win Minnesota. Okay, what about Wisconsin? Yeah. Most yeah. down on Wisconsin? Yeah, Wisconsin. I want to know what's going on there. I don't – they're, they're – it's weird up there. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I mean – I but it seems to me like after Kenosha, yeah. wouldn't that have – Well, you know, Demo- local Democrats were worried about all that, the, 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 the rioting, tilting the election. I know that in, in Michigan, they were like, where's Joe? Local Democrats were like, it's a lot tighter up here. What, where the hell is he? Yeah. You know, but remember, they, they swore that their invisible their invisible campaign was a lot better than Hillary's. So. Well, they have no ground <laughs> They have no either. ground game at all. At least, so, you know, at least if you have this enthusiasm gap, you yeah. could try to make up for it with a ground game. But they're yeah. failing on that front too. Again yeah. – all these points yeah. going towards Trump. We'll see. I mean, for, on, on election, I'm, I'm going to be watching um, uh, Wayne County. And if it's around 2016 levels, he's going to win. Yeah. He's going to win. Hillary, you, I mean, Hillary got. And it's get, you know, it's going to be probably down with the African-American yeah. vote underperforming and the youth vote underperforming. I mean, if Hillary didn't excite these people, you know, Joe Biden's not going to. So agreed. So overall, what's your projection, Harrison, on on the national race, uh, especially up in the Rust Belt? I think he repeats his 2016, and I think he might grab New Hampshire. Oh, yeah. What about Minnesota? I think he takes it. I think if he wins one, he's going to win all of them. Huh. The, in terms of the Rust Belt, so that would be a that would be a big victory. What are you? What's your feeling on Nevada? Because that's not talked about a lot, but some of the early voting numbers out of there look surprisingly good for us. And with Trump's increased support among Hispanics, it could put the state in play. What are your thoughts there? Well, my problem is if I say it, then I need to knock on a piece of wood, and <laughs> I, I, I like I'm optimistic about it. I see the Hispanic numbers elsewhere, and it's like, geez, there's there's a real shot here. But I, I don't want to jinx that one. Yeah, I feel you there. Yeah. Either way. 50-50. You, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only goal is to get to 270. Yeah. So if we do that, yeah. you know, all of us will be. Everything else is just icing on the cake. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's all gravy. And if, if we get to 270, all of us will be popping champagne. Yeah. And that's really all. Oh, absolutely. If um, not, I'm going to summer. I'll, I'll be back in four years to the next election. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the, here's something that gets tossed around. If Trump, God forbid, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. gets popular, <laughs> if Trump, God forbid, loses, right? Will he run again in four years? Grover Cleveland, it? I don't. Know. <laughs> He's that insane. Yeah, I think, I think he so. would. I think yeah. he would. He would create Trump TV, beat the hell out of Joe mm. for four years, and then be like, "I have this major announcement. I'm going to run again because <laughs> I was right about everything. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll know on inauguration day. He'll fire up, file that paperwork and start doing rallies. Yeah, yeah. And, and you mentioned the popular vote. I mean, I've seen that tossed around a little bit that, you know, what if, you know, Trump gets how, the popular vote? How glorious would that be? I, I, don't, I, I just don't see it just on a sheer number of, you know, crazed Trump derangement syndrome liberals based out of California and New York, but do you think it's possible? I mean, you see the stuff, at, you know, in California, the, na- the natural rallies that are taking place. True. And a lot of the places that are, again, this is just early voting stuff, but the turnout is up significantly and, and our margins are much higher. Mm-hmm. Like counties and areas where it was like 70, 30 are now 80, 20. Yep. So if there's enough of that, you know, who knows? 
switching gears to the Senate here real quick, I want to run through this map and get your thoughts state by state. Uh, starting from – you got two races in Georgia. We have a regular Senate race and a special Senate race. What are your thoughts on what goes down there? So with the special, uh, is that not – are there not two Republicans? Correct. You got Kelly Loeffler, who's the incumbent senator, and you have Doug Collins, who's also a Republican. Uh, you have this other guy named Warnock, who's a crazy-ass liberal, just totally insane, uh, and that's a runoff. So if whoever the top two are in there that don't get to 50%, assuming that no one gets to 50%, there will be a runoff uh, January 5th, I believe, uh, with those two candidates. The other race is David Perdue uh, facing off against John Ossoff. There's a familiar name for you. Uh-huh. I, I honestly I can't really speak to it. It's not something that I know much about, but I do think that in terms of the Senate, I think we're going to do very well. So o- you, overall, so we the the biggest toss up races that we've got that people are talking about are basically Tom Tillis in North Carolina. Uh, He's going to win. Okay, yeah. Susan Collins in Maine. I don't know. I mean. Tough one, right? That's yeah. That's a vote no less. I don't know. A lot of people. I think that might cost her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of people saw that as an electoral move to try to reestablish her independency. Maine is a freaking weird. Maine's place. weird. It is weird. Like you know, that might actually might that might help her. It's possible. Know. Yeah. I I don't know what's going to happen there. Might. I could might see help. her losing. Uh, a lot of people are talking yeah. about Joni Ernst. I don't see her losing Iowa if Trump wins Iowa. Any thoughts on that? Uh, no. No, I, I agree with you. If he wins up, if he wins it, um, an I don't think uh, An interesting race is Arizona because uh, Trump's up in Arizona, but McSally finds her. Yeah, she's trailing like by six points, I think. Yeah. So, what what do you think there? You think that split will happen? Trump wins Arizona, but she loses. That one is uh, one of the trickier ones. I I just I'm surprised she's underperforming so much. But again, I think all these Republicans come home. I. I really think that the actual voting, I mean, our, our turnout's going to be through the roof. Yeah, we're probably toast in Colorado. I think you would agree with that. Cory Gardner's probably uh, not yeah. with Yes. An interesting addition to the toss-up map has been Minnesota because Trump is doing well there. Uh, and if he carries that, it's possible that he could carry the Republican across the line there. But the biggest one of all that I wanted to talk about is Michigan, John James. What are your thoughts on that one? I think he wins. Yeah. I think there's a massive rejection of Democrats in that state. Yeah. It's, and that's, if that happened, if the map lays out, as we've talked about here, we'll retain the majority, and that's really all that matters. One last thing I wanted to hit on, because we talked about this. People have said I'm crazy for saying that we have a chance to take the House. Uh, I think Matt agrees with me that there is a chance, you know, and so the, it's the meme. So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think a lot of things have to go our way. You've seen some race changes, though, in recent days, particularly Pennsylvania 17, which is somewhat in your neck of the woods. Connor Lamb, the the incumbent Democrat who said he would not be a pawn of the left, yet he was and is a pawn of the Oh, it's total. Oh. Against Sean Parnell, who's, I think, a great candidate. He's He's a phenomenal candidate. Lamb only got in there because he ran against one of the worst candidates I've seen. And even then, that race <laughs> was bad. Uh, that race, <laughs> oh, I can tell you things about that one. But uh, he only won that by a hand. Like I think it was like a few hundred votes that he won. 
Yeah. Um, let's see. I remember doing the math. It, it was definitely within a few hundred. A lot of these toss-ups here on, on that house map are reliant on the Trump map. So if Trump runs the map, you know, somewhat similar to what he did in 2016, you know, we had a massive House majority in 2016. I don't think it's that far-fetched to say, hey, if these toss-ups go our way, that would put us at 219, 220. A lot of these seats are seats where Trump won by over 10. I, I don't I personally don't think it's that crazy to say. I really I really don't. You have people like uh Dave Wasserman, who I used to have respect for, but now he's essentially become a shill of the left, at least in my opinion, uh, who says that these house polls at the district level are infallible and that they show, you know, massive suburban moves against Trump and there's just no way, no way at all, maybe one percent chance that the Republicans can take back the House. What do you think about that, Matt? I mean, I'm going, this is like, again, we, we, like Harrison said, this is like deja vu all over again with the whole, these people, these prognosticators saying how, like, you know, it's, it, nothing can happen. Never count, you cannot count anything out with Trump at the top of the mm -hmm. ticket. That's one thing you need to know. Also, what, how is he, I don't, I don't pay for political he parties because it's, it's so much money and it's not worth it. But how he says he that it? the district polling, the House district polling, is infallible, right? And that infallible, yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. And that red flag, you know, there. they got this right in 2018, showing the blue wave, which you argue is that because Trump wasn't at the yeah. top of the ticket, and, and also because Trump, Trump voters actually voted for Democrats in in, in in the 2018 midterms. Now they're all coming back to Trump, mm -hmm. so that's, you can't you can't account for that. And um, we we won the Senate. Yeah, won the Senate. And I mean, if we're going by, I mean, how many the early vote totals are what forty million people right now? Mm -hmm. it's, if he's going by precinct models, which it sounds like it is, you got you got tossed that in the trash. Mm -hmm. You can't with that many people voting early. You cannot count on precinct model anymore. Yeah, which is why I believe um, I believe some places like Ace of Spades isn't doing that anymore. So yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> well, they have. I, I mean. You know, even in even in infallible. some infallible. Oh my god. It's so elitist. It's so elitist. That's what I hate about these people. That's what really gets me. You know, looking at these these toss-ups, right, that they have here. If the if the Republicans sweep the toss-ups, that would put us in the majority. And that's assuming that we don't pick off a few of the lean dem rated. And we know that these ratings are based on these polls yeah so it's it becomes what we, you know a circle tubing yeah where <laughs> they're, they're getting bad garbage in right yeah. they're making their predictions based on this bad garbage yeah i mean i don't know i mean i'm looking at some of these states here where it's a toss-up i mean if trump wins minnesota we're taking we're taking all this back right we're taking a most yep. a most of the rust belt losses back right. if and, we don't get the if we don't get the 218 we're going to, I mean, at, at the very least, we're going to whittle down this Democratic yeah. majority to like a, like a, maybe a three to five seat majority, which yeah. is, you know. Which, which would scare some moderates into playing ball as well. Yeah. You know, that's a little more. Exactly. If you, if you minimize their majority, which I'd love to kick Nancy Pelosi out of that speaker seat because she's just a. Yeah. If, but if, but if we minimize their majority, it would put a lot more pressure 
on those moderates or what the, what do they call themselves the problem solvers caucus yeah they used, uh, they used to be blue dogs mm-hmm. blue dogs got wiped out so yeah, they, yeah. the problem That's, solvers caucus. you know the house is going to be an interesting thing to watch when when we were with president trump yeah back in uh july, july at yeah. the white house yeah he said he thought the house was in play. Yeah. So he's clearly getting the best information out of anybody here. Yeah. The internals are showing one thing. The public polling showing another. It seems like all these prognosticators are, again, putting all their eggs in one basket. Yeah. And like I said, someone's going to end up being wrong big. And I just I hope it's not us. I hope we're yeah. the ones being right yeah. about all this. We, we hit a lot here. Um, is there anything else, Harrison, uh, electoral observations, economic observations that you wanted to share with the triggered listeners? Well, just, the, I guess I'll, I'll put my flag out in terms of how optimistic I am. I, I think we do win the house. And I think if, if we win the house, we, you know, keep the white house and we win the Senate. I, I really think the democratic party is going to break up. I think there's going to be real problems on the left. They're going to have a lot of, a lot of soul searching to do to figure something out because what they're doing right now is not working. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you. I think that if we deliver a crushing blow that I think we could, yeah, uh, they're going to be in bad, bad shape for a long time to come. The socialists are going to take over. I can see a splinter. Yeah. Like, you know, you have the socialists. That's, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. like, uh, like kind of like, I mean, they didn't break apart per se officially, but like in 68, you know, with mm-hmm. the Vietnam War going on, there was the anti-war Democrats under uh, under Eugene McCarthy. There was the 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 youth wing the uh, under Bobby Kennedy and you know the, the old guard under Johnson and um, and Mayor Daley I mean this would be like the woke AOC plus 3 socialists the I, I don't know yeah it, well you saw them dumbly I, st- I can see like several factions just leave <laughs> you saw them dumbly stake their ground last night as soon as ACP was confirmed AOC goes to Twitter and says yeah, yeah. stack the court yeah Followed by Ilhan Omar and all the rest of them. Yeah, I'm like, thing. you morons. That's supposed to be yeah. just in private yeah. for yourself. Yeah. Now you're giving us this ammo, which is you're great. Not, you're not supposed to say that. Yeah. <laughs> they always do that. Like, <laughs> Chuck Schumer reading Twitter. Oh, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they say the quiet part. Well, out we, I mean, hey. Go ahead. We yeah. should be, you know, we should, li- we, sh- we should listen to them, though. I mean, oh, they really do say what they want to do. We should listen to it. Yeah, more often than not, they say the quiet part out loud. So uh, we'll see what happens tonight in Philadelphia. I think that can have a huge effect on the final outcome in in Pennsylvania. We sent Julio up there, so he'll be covering it from the ground. Of course, uh, stay tuned to townhall.com for the latest up-to-the-minute 2020 election coverage in the news cycle that never sleeps. Thank you so much for joining us today, Harrison. Really appreciate it. Hey, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It was a good time. Yeah, Thanks of course, long-time triggered listener, and it's uh, it's people like him that keep this show going. We love all of you. If you'd like to reach out to us, feel free to email us, triggered at townhall.com, and of course, follow us on Twitter at TriggeredTHM. Most importantly, out of all of this, get your family, get your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, and get out there and vote, vote, vote. We need to take this country because the alternative and he literally means that vote three times so <laughs> i do not <laughs> allegedly <laughs> well that's what you know the yeah. democrats are going to be doing. oh yeah i God, saw yeah. i saw a meme that came across my feed yeah. that 
was uh, the sixth sense. Yeah. You know, Bruce Willis, what do you see? I see dead people. Yeah. What are the dead people doing? They're voting They're by voting. mail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you on Thursday for another episode of Triggered. We'll have a special Friday episode of Triggered. And we'll be back here on Monday and Tuesday. We're with you through the election. Lots to come here. And, of course, the exclusive election podcast, Town Hall Media's War for the White House, is available wherever you get your podcasts from. So if you want more podcasts from us, be sure to tune in. And I will be on that on Friday. So we will see you for another episode of Triggered later this week. See you then. Thanks. Thanks.